Just take a moment. Breathe in through your nose, a deep calming breath. And then out through your mouth, long and slow. Keep going deep and slow. You're here listening because you care. You're here because you want to know more. You're here to find ways to help. You're here because you are strong enough. You're listening to the Strong Enough podcast from Eating Disorder Families Australia. Self-care is vital. Use this short meditation at the start of each podcast to take a moment for yourself. Keep those calming breaths going as you listen to this episode, which is sponsored through the generosity of people facing similar challenges. I never gave up hope that my daughter would recover, even though there were times that was really hard. And I would tell her every day that I believed in her and that she could do this, even when I was really struggling to necessarily believe that fully myself. You know, it's really hard with girls. They mask it beautifully. And my daughter, you know, prior to being ill, she was, you know, a top achiever in so many things. And, um, you know, masking is such a big part of it. You think, how can we ever have that family love again? How can we ever have what we used to have before? But it's there, it's possible, and and it comes back. Welcome to Strong Enough. I'm your host, Jo Stone, and this episode, we're joined by Leah. She's a mum to two girls and a nurse by trade, but her medical training didn't mean she had all the answers when her oldest daughter, Olivia, was diagnosed with an eating disorder just before turning 18. Leah, tell us about Olivia's diagnosis. She was already struggling, wasn't she, after a relationship breakup earlier that year? She was, but she'd also been struggling for a while prior to that as well with some fairly significant anxiety and depression symptoms. So she was already in care for that um, in regards to sort of weekly counselling and and so on. But um, I think the relationship breakdown and and some other issues around it really um, made it even more difficult for her to cope with that high level of emotional strain. And and that escalation resulted, you know, later in that year with her having a very um, serious fall into anorexia nervosa, which she was diagnosed with in late, uh, well, she was almost 18, so just prior to her 18th birthday. What were the warning signs for you, Leah? Um, For Olivia, um, well, not coping with emotional um, pressure was definitely one of them. And and for her, there was a period of um, increased eating, but then gradually that sort of flipped on its head and there was really significant restriction coupled with uh, a real strong interest in cooking food for other people, which is apparently really common. And um, yeah, and her, her, her food options just narrowed to almost nothing and and we could watch we we're watching her losing weight as well so she was getting very sick and she was getting very agitated because we we're talking you know around the that it looks like this is what's going on she really didn't want that to be the case because she didn't want her therapy options to change and things like that but um, there were a lot of signs that things were escalating in the wrong direction at that time in late 2017. So did you have to have a bit of a focus switch? You know, was it a different kind of help that you needed when that eating disorder took hold? Who did you call first? 
Oh, I can't remember exactly who I called first, but I we definitely had her at the doctor, at the GP. So I'd taken her to see just our regular GP, um, who unfortunately wasn't specialised in eating disorders, but still had enough capacity and knowledge to um, do some of the basic medical tests that you need to do um, when someone's falling into an eating disorder. So that was a good start. Um, but I later on found a much better GP, but but it was a starting point. I also spoke to a friend um, of mine who'd gone through this with her daughter. I remember her mentioning it to me. She wasn't a close friend, but she probably really made an enormous difference in, in uh, me understanding the illness. You don't know what you don't know until you reach out and um, speak to somebody who has a little bit more insight, and, and she was incredibly helpful. Um, Olivia, as I mentioned, she was already in counselling. They were talking about switching over to um, family-based therapy, and they were trying to encourage refeeding at home but uh, in the end I ended up putting her in the car and taking her to hospital because she was clinically she was quite unwell and um, they basically told me I saved her life by doing that she was um, very very unwell very very quickly and it frightens you it's terrible so so in regards to you know the switch of focus you're going from one day just you know giving emotional care and support for anxiety and depression and before you know it you're actually with you you know your child's suffering with a really serious medical illness off the back of their mental illness and it's um not a nice place to be Mm. you said um that you found a better GP and you know you obviously had to have a bit of a switch in the way you were looking after her and caring for her Mm -hmm. is it okay to change that team up as you go I think some people seem to worry about you know we've got a team and we're set with them and that's it but but obviously that hasn't been the case for you in your journey. I absolutely think you need to change the team up as you go. I mean, as a as a care and parent, I must also acknowledge um, Olivia's father was the other person that was involved in, you know, the conversations around, you know, getting her to some higher level of help in those early stages as well. And But along the journey, yes, changing a team up is absolutely something that I did many, many times. Um, I think you have to really listen to your gut about whether you're with the right person and whether you really feel that they've got... Um, the right type of communication, the right type of knowledge, and so on. And and when your when your loved ones um, is experiencing an eating disorder, you have to learn a lot, and you have to learn it so incredibly fast. I was very grateful to the EDFA for the support they put around me to help me in doing that. But you've got to do so much independently as well. And and um, you know that level of research is how I sort of managed to continue to change up the team to eventually find the right mix that started to work for her. But it can take years. It's not an easy thing to do and, you know, you have to sit with it for a while to see how things go as well during what, that time. What help from the EDFA did you really need and and how did it help? They literally put their actual arms around me <laughs> is probably the best way to put it. I was, um, yeah, in a pretty distressed state. You can probably even hear it in my voice yeah. reflecting back to that time because it was, yeah, you're in you're in shock as a parent. Um watching your child go through this and even as a nurse like my trainings in nursing and I knew enough about what what this meant <laughs> but um you know I wasn't skilled in order to to know how to actually deal with this and and you know helping somebody with an eating disorder requires enormous levels of compassion and love and and um understanding but the way the system works is you're really driven to be quite tough and hardcore in the way that you have to treat treat your loved one to get them to eat and it, and it's a really oh it's a bit of a juxtaposition like to really sort of know how to um to manage that sort of situation and it and it takes time and practice and and reflection and all sorts of things and the EDFA 
were um, well, at the time it was pre-COVID, so we were having face-to-face meetings at a little community centre over in Flemington, and and it was great. You know, whenever I could get there, I'd be there, and and we'd all get to share our stories and support each other, and it was brilliant. Um, they also provided education um, in the form of some books and and you know sharing of stories and things like that too. And and now as time's gone on, they've evolved to be so much more in regards to how they educate and support people, including things like this podcast. So it's um. I'm very grateful to to the friendships I've made through that and the support that I've had through people there. Plus the webpage was another thing that you could actually ask questions and and things like that on the Facebook webpage. So, yeah, there were lots of different ways. (laughs) That's wonderful. Mm. Um, Olivia was also diagnosed with ADHD and autism while she was being treated. So what challenges did that also bring for you? Um, Well, the diagnosis for both of those things was the start of the healing, to be honest. So it brought challenges, perhaps more so in the earlier stages of helping her um, travel her journey in regards to the eating disorder recovery, you know, structure that you sort of get given um, in the early days of of this process but she once she was diagnosed with her ADHD and started medic on medication her you know her brain started to work a little bit better she had to be really conscious of making sure that she ate so she didn't lose her medication and and she she was really um, determined at that point not to lose the medication because she started to feel a bit better um, outside of that the autism diagnosis which is a really big process and a bit of a hard journey to do to go through um, but that just allowed her to understand herself better and have more compassion for herself. Um, It also allowed me as her carer to um, understand her and and be, I guess, in some ways more patient, change my approach. You know, we shifted up her team a lot at that time um, just to be more focused on, you know, the emotional management through autism and all the extra supports that she might have needed with that. And it's been phenomenally successful for her um, because it's really, yeah, it's really led her now to really understanding and understanding herself. She really works with all of her supports and she eats very, very happily now. And um, that's a very different place to, you know, to where we're at. So, yeah, there's a lot to, um, I guess, encourage people around this. I, I know this is our journey. That was our journey and it was Olivia's story and everyone is different, but it was something when it was raised with me, which had been raised previously and we had explored it previously to to no avail. But um, when we re-explored it during Olivia's illness, it was um, a bit daunting because I was, mm. you know, thinking, God, how, how could this be right? You know, how I'm not being able to get on top of this as a mum, you know, those sorts of feelings. And then you sort of have to get over yourself a little bit and just run with it and, and do the hard work, you know, to explore it. And um, I'm so glad we did and I'm so glad that the person that encouraged me did so because it made the world a difference in our home. Are there any things that you could perhaps suggest people look for if they're thinking perhaps there is an ADHD or an autism issue? Was there, in your experience, some red flags perhaps? Yeah, well, there were. In, in I mentioned um, we had actually had sought to have it explored years before and, you know, it's really hard with girls. They mask it beautifully and my daughter, you know, prior to being an ill, being ill, she was, you know, a top achiever in so many things and, you um, you know, masking is such a big part of it, you know, particularly for girls and the testing wasn't friendly towards um, understanding the female presentation. I know that's changing and improving, but I think if you don't think something sits right with your child, don't hesitate to explore that because 
it made the world a difference for us and it allowed us to get onto the right path and, and adjust how we approach things. So somebody with autism typically has difficulties around things or any of the senses. So essentially noise, uh, feel, taste, um, the feel of food, um, the texture, that sort of thing, and also just lighting and things like that. So, you know, with that new sort of understanding, we're able to sort of really apply some of these learnings to how we actually did meal support and also just supported her in general and it's made the world a difference um she's her sensory needs are really really relevant and important to her and that was creating more overwhelm in the way that we're originally taught to to treat you know the eating disorder so in short again coming back to that whole thing about um having that autism assessment and being able to apply a new and different approach to how we actually did the same types of things but with a lot more compassion for her sensory needs made a really really big difference and she felt calmer um, and she felt more able to to manage it so it was a win-win um, read up about it like throw yourself into the research on both of those things see a psychiatrist see a clinical psychologist that um, specializes in in ASD presentations as well um, and you know just explore it don't dismiss it because I, I know there's already a recognized 30% presentation of people with eating disorders particularly in the female population having autism um, I would suspect that it's even higher than that to be honest with you I think it's um, understanding and watching Olivia struggle to um, regulate or recognize and understand her own emotions and the behaviors of other people is a very, was a big part of things and now she's just taken leaps and bounds because all of our energy is in in supporting that and she's you know coping really well in life now um, compared to where she was at so previously her her mechanism was um, essentially self-harm which you know an eating disorder is a form of self-harm so it's nice to think that hopefully she won't go back to that again, mm. hopefully. Mm. Yeah. Um, you mentioned before about being a single parent, so that does really add another layer of complexity. How did you get everyone on board for her care and what do you think is the best approach? Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, look, in an ideal scenario, you have great communication um, with your co-parent and that's definitely challenging for a lot of people. There were times where it was for us as well, particularly when everyone's really stressed. Um, but you need to be able to do that safely. So, you know, whatever that takes, you've got to find your way, you know, to that place because creating a safe environment is the number one thing that your loved one needs. Um, and that comes from, you know, from how we approach it as well. And consistency and, um, too between yeah. the households, yeah. Yeah, and that's really hard. That was really challenging. Um, and I think that would be the same with, I think I know that's the same with a lot of other single parents. There are a lot of single parents on this journey. Which is, a, which is a shame and there's a lot of single parents out there anyway, but it's um, getting that consistency and approach is hard because, you you know, you don't share all of the same opportunities to learn. Um, you may not throw yourself into all of the same opportunities to understand what's going on as well and, and then obviously to have that capacity to communicate comfortably is really important too. So it's um, it was a challenge for us and I, I don't think that's unusual at all and you know did everything I could to to give Olivia the you know the safest most comfortable environment for her to to recover in and um you know the rest of the journey was really up to her. So how did Olivia's diagnosis impact your immediate family unit because you do have a second daughter as well? 
yeah, it was pretty hard. She was going through VCE, so um, you're going through, you know, final years of high school and that's a challenging time for anyone anyway. And, yeah, and she was, you know, living with me the, the vast majority of the time, but there were periods where she went and stayed um, at her dad's more often and then, you know, in the years when she finished school, you know, with her partner as well, staying with him just to sort of have that break and that space from it. As a carer, you try and do everything you can for everybody and that's that's probably the really big thing that's difficult and why the EDFA exists you've got to you know look after yourself in the mix as well but but when you're in the middle of this um situation you know you have your fear of your loved one you know not surviving and that's a genuine fear and then you have I had another daughter and other families have have more than that and it's um you know you're trying to spread yourself across everything and you do the best you can but it's just not possible it's actually just not possible so you know her stress levels were high and you know she had a period of you know stress and anxiety as well which is perfectly understandable but now um I've watching my girls well, I've been watching them for the last couple of years reconnect so beautifully and you know we've all got really good relationships so I don't feel that there's a lasting impact from that um, but at the time it was definitely something that was difficult and you try and communicate about it as much as you can but it's still hard to solve mm. to be honest. What are some yeah. of what are some of the things that you did as a family unit to to keep you connected and keep you um, on track? Uh, well, we tried to do things. One of the things you need to do when you have someone with an eating disorder in the home is is distract them whilst they're eating. And, and we tried to use those opportunities for family connection as well. I know that might sound strange, but we'd play a lot of games whilst we had dinner um, or watch, you know, little mini series. So we had something to talk about and laugh, you know, whilst I was supporting Olivia as well. So that was a, a way to sort of stay connected because we had those sort of conversations from those sorts of things as well. And look, wherever I possibly could, I would do things one-on-one -on -one with my other daughter as well, as much as I possibly could. I was also trying to work because <laughs> I had to yeah. feed the family. <laughs> so, you know, juggling everything yeah a lot of juggling and a lot of um you know you just your jobs at home and all that sort of thing are really hard to keep up with so I don't know that there's actually a perfect answer to that question Joe. it's really hard to do it but the most important thing was making sure you're doing your best to engage with everybody as much as possible and also giving yourself the grace um and space to take a deep breath deep breath when you need it but um again you know in the in the depths of this it's it's almost a blur now because it was so hard at edfa we talk a lot about self-care which you mentioned about how important it is but it can just gosh be so hard when you're really in the thick of it is there anything that you would have done differently uh i wish i i wish when people offered help you know you have people say to you oh, if there's anything i can do let me know and when you're in the thick of it, you're sort of thinking, oh, how do I even do that? I can't even think clearly, you know, outside of the basic things, you know, the six, you know, three meals, three snacks a day, getting through that, getting through your medical appointments and everything else. I can't even think clearly about what else, you know, you're trying to do work as well, what else you need to do. So I wish I wrote a list um, when I had the moments to do that of things in ways that people could help me. So when that was said to me, I could say, fantastic, could you, oh, could you just go and pick up? you know, some groceries, I need broccoli and cheese, could you please, you know, get that for me? Or gee, it'd be great if someone could help me by mowing the lawns or um, 
you know, just helping with some other practical things. Yeah, it's very hard to get someone else to step in to do meal support, Um, but you can get people to step in to do other practical things, you know, helping with my daughter. I did have friends help with my daughter with giving her lifts to and from places and things like that as well, but I wish I wrote myself a list. Um, And the other thing I wish I I did was gave myself a bit more of a, um, a bit more grace, you know, to... To kinda, sort of, yeah, kind of kinda to myself, yeah, you're just, you're, you're just going, everything's a million miles an hour and you're trying to, you know, trying to save your loved one <laughs> and you feel the pressure of that and at the end of the day they do have to do it themselves. You just have to provide the best environment and best, best support around them to allow them to do that and it took me, even though I sort of knew that, it took me a while to really understand that and I needed to get to a place where I could really trust the team that sat around her and that was um com- that comes back to that piece of really researching everything being on every wait list you know I'm in Melbourne so I was on every wait list with every doctor <laughs> under the sun um it's a hard battle and um but, you know getting myself to that point where I could actually just trust that they would catch her so that she had the capacity to fall over as she needed to in order to find her way through it I hope that makes sense but that's kind yeah, of what eventually got got us there. And I guess, you know, what I might have done differently was um, trust that it's okay to do that because I was so fearful of um, putting trust in everybody else because you watch the system fail you a lot when you're going through this. Um, but it was her falling over and I guess also those extra diagnosis and treatment that she had that allowed us to actually get to a better place. Um, everyone's got to do that safely at the time that's right for them, but don't be afraid to, to you know, think about that stepping back piece. And, look, my daughter was, you know, she turned 18 a few months after she was, was diagnosed. I just going to know. say that, mm. yeah, because that, that would be very hard. You have to, you're not allowed into the doctor's appointments. Yeah, yeah. There's Well, she would let me into a lot of them, but there were a lot that, I, you know, it was important that she did on her own as well. So we did work, you know, as a team together for a while. Um, she's completely independent with all of that now, but, um, but there was a time that you sort of did share certain appointments as well. But you just you just get the pushback. And I think from the hospital setting, you know, the amount of presentations we had to the emergency department, either via an ambulance or I took her and, and you know, there's no beds and they, you know, say to her, if you, you know, unless you're imminently going to have a heart attack, they typically don't give you a bed and um, they, you know, give the option to an adult, would you like to come in, you know, to have some support? Um, but it's really just medical stability type support that you might get you don't necessarily get the whole package of the mental health support that you need as well depending on where you are and um you know someone with an eating disorder is being screamed at in their own head about don't you dare step foot in a hospital don't you dare accept more help and care because you don't deserve it like they're they're being abused in their own mind so typically they don't accept it (laughs) accept the extra help so it is really hard when you're caring for an adult because you can't you can only force so much. You actually can't force everything. Someone younger, it's um, there's probably some layers of you know additional support there, but I don't think that necessarily made it would make it easier. I think it's hard either way. Mm. And it is mm. hard too because technically she's still at school and she's still yeah. a kid. You know, she's still under yeah. your care. Yeah, she yeah. was doing year twelve um, in the first year of her illness and yeah was you know managed to get through but spent some of that year in hospital in and out of hospital so it was a pretty interrupted year 
We like to ask guests every episode, what are your top three tips in the caring journey? So a practical takeaway for every podcast. We'd love to hear from you, Leah, what you have learnt and um, what kind of advice you'd like to pass on. Mm. Well, the first one's that not being afraid to like challenge the status quo and also changing up your team. Just, you know, we don't be afraid to do that. Put your name down everywhere and and hassle people till you can get your foot in the door I did that so much and and it it allowed me to get into some good care and when it wasn't working you know we revisited that and and found other avenues and speaking to people so my number one tip would be don't be afraid to do that Um, the second one was just it's around the word believe I I never gave up hope that my daughter would recover even though there were times that was really hard and I would tell her every day that I believed in her and that she could do this even when I was really struggling to necessarily yeah. believe that fully myself and I even got us both silver bracelets and had it like those little bar bracelets and had the word believe engraved on both of them for us to both wear because we just had to hold on to belief that it's possible to recover and yeah it was like a mantra um, for us so that was you know something that worked for us and maybe find your mantra that helps get you through and share it through encouragement and positivity you know with your loved one and the, the third one would be um, just giving them that space um, finding a safe team and then giving them the space to to vent their emotions validate their emotions even if it doesn't feel doesn't make sense to you they're really valid to them and they're really painful for them and the most important thing I think a person going through this experience um, of an eating disorder needs is to actually feel really heard seen and validated and that's part of the reason I kept changing up our team Um, I needed to find that space where she was really heard seen and validated because it allowed her to fall back in love with herself and um, and put the fight fight up that she needed to and she had a pretty big fight on her hands so I think that was the key and and the care team that we sort of ended our eating disorder journey with was very much focused around that just giving her space to challenge her negative mind one of the things when we've chatted before we talked about was how important love is in this process love for your Mm. child love for yourself and care for yourself talk me through why that is so important and why you feel that that should be so so much in the forefront Mm. someone once said to me early in this journey that you can't fix this with love and um I couldn't disagree with that with more I couldn't disagree with that anymore than I do because it's just it's love that holds you there and I'm not challenging anyone's love for their child by saying that but I'm what I'm saying is it takes um well when I come back to that word believing and and the hope and the compassion and all those sort of things they all stem from just being there and providing love you can't love someone and just let the eating disorder get away with what it wants to get away with but you do have to love them by listening love them by giving them space love them by giving them validation and love them by giving them opportunity to live life as well and it's um really hard to do because when you go into this journey you very much get taught or can get taught that it's a really hardcore process in refeeding and they get the punishment cycles that you go through about taking things away and all that sort of thing personally I I can't see how that worked um there were some things we had to take away because of safety like driving for example at the time um but 
having opportunities to experience life and, and see their personal value comes from, you know, having that love and compassion for someone and really letting them embrace that. And it's, look, it's a hard balance, but that's where that comes from. And love for yourself um, in answer to your question is, I guess, that thing about grace that I was mentioning, like this is easily, I've, I think I've had a few tough things happen in my life and I, this would easily be the toughest um, by far. And you really have to um, give yourself that grace that you can't get everything right. You can't do this, um, you know, solo and and it's okay if things, you know, go wrong occasionally. It's not necessarily your fault. So you have to sort of have that love for yourself in that way as well. And, you know, you feel like um, there's often a lot of criticism out there too, whether that's right or wrong, but you do feel um, scrutinised sometimes by the care teams, by other people. And you really have to battle that in your own mind. And, and that's hard. I think when you're so exhausted, it's pretty easy to beat yourself up, you know, about what you've done right or what you haven't done right. And I look back now and, and so does my daughter. And she just has told me, I can't tell you how many times it just it fills me with joy, but she's just so grateful that I fought the way that I did and I gave her the space that she needed and that the love was there and, and it's not lost. We haven't lost it. Um, I think that's important for people to know because when you're in the thick of this and you, you're really copying it from your, your loved one experiencing their eating disorder, you think, how can we ever have that family love again? How can we ever have what we used to have before? But it's there, it's possible, and it's and it comes back. Um, my daughter told me only yesterday that she feels that she's got the best relationship with food that she thinks she's ever had. <laughs> and they're words of gold, you know, as a carer for someone who's experienced a love one, um, an eating disorder, it's um, they're words of gold. So the amount of sharing and stuff that she has for me with me now is is a testament, I guess, to that love being able to really return and be the focus rather than the the um, awful dark times of the eating disorder, which, you know, sadly so many people are experiencing. Mm, how is Olivia now? She's great. <laughs> she's great. <laughs> she's awesome. Um, she's, you know, she's, as, as you know, she's got the autism diagnosis, but she's doing so much about that. She's really um, proactive in regards to that and she's ticking away with her university degree and working it's a beautiful boyfriend. She's found hobbies again. She's finding friends again. Um, she's singing again around the house. <laughs> um, all those That's things wonderful. that she used to do. Yeah, and she's just so much happier. She has to ensure that her, like she's physically with her health, she's had some things that are probably, you know, leftover effects from the eating disorder that she's working through, but she's a lot, they're definitely getting a lot, lot better. And, um, yeah, and she really engages with all of her help and support and she continues to see a GP just to make sure she's staying on top of things as well, which is great. She does that voluntarily. She's, you know, really engaged with it now. Um, but, you know, that was very hard to picture three years ago. I'm sure that brings a lot of hope to everyone listening today. So thank you so much mm, for thank you. coming on the podcast, speaking to the Strong Enough team, Leah. You've just done such an incredible job fundraising to support the EDFA um, to provide resources like this podcast. Thank you for sharing your carer story and insights and sending you and Olivia a really big serving of that key ingredient in the recovery road, which is love. Thank you, <laughs> thank you, Jo. That's really kind. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Strong Enough a podcast by Eating Disorders Families Australia. 
an organisation caring for carers around the country. Head to our website at edfa.org.au for links to more resources, including webinars, support groups, and the Fill the Gap counselling services. All the links are in the show notes. And remember, you are strong enough.